0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Chapters 39, 40, and 41 really form a unit, and it's made up of three kind of parallel stories. And uh, the story in chapter 39 and the chapter in 40 both start and end with very similar language, very similar words, and it's this picture of Joseph's decline from bad to worse, right? And then along comes chapter 41, and it's kind of the grand climax of the story. Uh, So we're right in the middle, in the second story of that cycle, and if you were here last Sunday, it'll sound a lot like... uh, the the words from last week because it's intentionally structured to be very similar. So we're going to start actually at the end of chapter 39 in verse 21. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and he showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison." The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own separate meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked terrible. Why do you look so worried today, he said. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Well, interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom and soon produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. Three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position as chief cupbearer. And please, when he does, remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I am here in prison. But I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh. But the birds came and ate them from, my, from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told them. Three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift up your head, literally, and impel your body on a pole. (laughs) Then the birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Well, Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the officials. Then he literally lifted up their heads before the officials, and he restored the cupbearer to his former position, so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Okay, so very similar to the last story. It starts off with the God's hand on and presence with Joseph. Joseph's doing very well. It seems that you know god 's going to move forward and do big things in his life, but it ends chapter thirty nine ends with him in prison uh, then it goes to chapter forty He starts off in prison and ends forgotten in prison okay um, great picture of a guy who 's in the dungeons and whose life is is literally hit a dead end and seems quite hopeless and The reality is that for all of us we ought to connect. Uh, and probably do connect with this story because we have had times in our life when we have felt very much like this. Maybe not quite as trapped as Joseph, who was literally trapped, but oftentimes life, life can leave us kind of feeling stuck like this, right? We can be in a place where uh, things are just not going as we had planned. Uh, maybe, you know, you moved to Thailand with big plans and you were going to do great things for God, and the first plan was to take six months of language learning And that's now turned into six years of not language learning, right? And you're going, you know, I can't even still order food. How am I supposed to tell people about Jesus, right? And it's frustrating, right? You feel stuck, or you had these visions of coming to Asia and starting a great church planting movement that would that would be the beginning of thousands of churches all across Asia. And after years and years of labor, you're still looking for one convert. Right, And it, it's discouraging. It can be very discouraging. Um, perhaps you're stuck in a job where your organization, is, you feel, has sidelined you in some back recesses of the world, in a literal dungeon maybe perhaps, and it's not really what you felt God called you to do, but they asked you to do this, and you just feel stuck, right? They're not giving you the resources or tools or freedom uh, maybe you're in a dungeon of financial troubles. Uh, and, you know, God, you, know, you watch daily great opportunities go by you could be involved with, but you don't have the resources, you don't have the funding, you don't have the money. Or perhaps, you know, you're at a point where you don't even know if you're going to be able to stay here because um, the funding's not there and you're fearful of getting sent back to the dungeon of your home country and a job at Walmart or something. <laughs> so that would be a dungeon, wouldn't it? So there you go. That's. Um maybe you're a student and you're stuck in the dungeon of high school. You may there? And you feel trapped. You can't escape, right? And the prison wardens are not kind to you. <laughs> right? And it seems like it will never end. You know, you're in the class of twenty fifteen, which might as well be the year two thousand fifty, right? Well, whatever the case, you know, maybe you're stuck at home while your spouse travels the globe doing important stuff, and you're sh- sharing your prison cell with preschoolers. Right? And uh, you are the prison warden. <laughs> 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 All right, whatever it is, uh, when we find ourselves in those places, the temptation is to start thinking, you know, to start getting to be filled with doubt and discouragement, and often we start wrestling with things like, "Have I missed God's will? Did I miss something?" And you know, I prayed about this. I, I, I thought this is what God was doing. And uh, you know, we sought counsel, and we, we stepped out, and we did this thing. We moved in this direction. And uh, did I miss it? Did I misunderstand what God's will was? Right? Am I out of His will somehow? Um, maybe you even go would one go go one step further, and you start doubting God's love and care. Maybe you think, well, I'm not in God's will, and really God doesn't care if I'm His will. You know, He's abandoned me. Uh, oftentimes the psalmist, you, you hear him saying, God, where are you? You've forgotten me. Right? You have left me. Sometimes we feel that way. We feel that God has, has, has left the building and we're left on our own. And we wonder, does He really care? Does He really have a plan? Does He really care if I fail or succeed? And what's the point? Um, well, Joseph was in that kind of place, and, and uh, to put to put it in perspective, he arrives in Egypt when he's thirteen. When, when he's seventeen, okay, he finally, you know, in chapter forty-one, when he finally becomes ruler of Egypt, he's thirty, okay. Uh, so thirteen years go by, and that thirteen years, he's both a slave in Potiphar's house and then a prisoner. And we don't know how that time breaks down. But chapter forty starts with this phrase: sometime later." Okay, and it implies the idea that he's been there a while, right? This wasn't a few days, a few weeks. This was most likely a few years. And a few years, and just think about it, when you were, if if you're in this age range, or if you remember this age range, you know, 17 to 30 is a pretty significant chunk of life, you know? Um, You know, now for me, 10 years goes by, it's no big deal. But back then, 10 years was, well, it was 30% of my life, right? A big deal, 13 years, right? And what, what some would say are the 13 best years of your life. How many think 20 to 30 is your best years of your life? Well, it was good years, okay? Because I was a lot healthier and younger then. I liked those years. Okay, Joseph is, is losing those years, okay? Those years of youthful vigor, of youthful zeal, of, of enjoying life as a 25-year-old. For Joseph, they are spent in prison. So if there's a guy who could easily say, well, why am I doing this? Where's God? Right? It would be Joseph. Uh, how easy would it be him to say, you know, I, I resisted the girl. I should have gone for the girl, right? It was a waste because I did the right thing and look where it got me. God just doesn't care. It would be very easy that, for Joseph to have taken that approach. But the amazing thing is that's not what Joseph does. He's in prison And he suffers in prison with great um, faith in God. And he's a great example for us of how to deal with our own dungeons. So let's look at three things that that he does while he's in his dungeon. And I hope it's encouragement for you. I think it's three things we can do also when we're in those times of feeling sidelined or dead end or stuck, right, to keep our focus on God. First thing, and this is kind of a repeat from last week, so I'm just going to touch on this real briefly, but... Uh, God is in the dungeon with him. And the reason it's important to include the end of chapter 29 is, these are important words. God was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. Incredibly important. Okay? Whatever dungeon you are in, first thing to always go back to, first thing to always stake your life on, is this truth that God's love never changes God's love is not dependent on your circumstances. God was with Joseph in the dungeon every bit as much as he would ever be with Joseph. And uh, and I love this phrase. He says, and he showed him, he extended to him his unfailing love. The word in Hebrew is chesed. uh, A great word that's fun to say, chesed. And uh, it's a very important word in the Old Testament. And it, it really is probably the closest Old Testament word to the New Testament word we use for grace. And it's really this idea of just un- unending kindness and unmerited love. That God was pouring out his love on Joseph no matter what happened. Right? That's a great thing to remember. When you are in your black times and your darkest moments, remember that God's love towards you is unchanging. And to go one step beyond that, I think oftentimes we experience God's love, that kind of love, in a very unique and special way only in prison. The reality is a lot of times what we think of as God's love is when our life is going smoothly and everything is great, right? And we feel blessed, uh, things are going well, and we're not sick, and we've got everything we need and we're happy, and our circumstances are good, and we feel loved, right? We feel, God loves me. But oftentimes our our appreciation of God's love in those times can be kind of shallow, right? And quite self-serving. And sometimes, in fact, it's it's easy to get this kind of uh, nervousness about God's love, and it's like we don't want to do anything to m- make God mad at us and end this great winning streak, right? There's something very different about experiencing God's love when you are at your very when you are in the pit. First time I ever really experienced this was uh, many many years ago. Uh, one of my cousins, who was quite a bit younger th- than me, was killed in a tragic accident. He was like 12 years old. And so uh, we traveled across the United States to go to the funeral, and I was given the assignment of driving my elderly grandmother. So here's this poor she, she's a widow already. My grandfather died, and here's this woman who just lost a very dear grandchild. Talk about a pit! Right? Talk about a dark moment. And we're driving, and it's I remember it was late at night. I think close to midnight. We're, out in the middle of Kansas somewhere trying to find a hotel, and there's nothing, and we're just driving. And uh, we found a Christian radio station, and uh, it was midnight, and uh, I forget the guy's name, but the radio program was called Night Sounds. Does anybody remember Night Sounds? Now, I was probably about 30 years old at this time, and I thought Night Sounds was the biggest waste of any radio space possible because it just was to me as boring. It's like, you know, if you can't go to sleep at midnight, you listen to this and it will put you to sleep, right? I thought that was its whole function, Uh, Bill something, what was his name? I can't remember, Night Silence. He had this baritone voice, and he spoke about this fast because his goal is to get you to go to sleep. (laughs) Well, of course, I'm trying to stay awake, but uh, as, as we listen to this radio program, and he starts speaking incredible words of comfort, right? And in his gentle, slow, calming way, he was speaking the assurance of God's love. Right? And in that context, my whole view of the program changed. Right, the whole thing changed. And uh, I saw how that ministered to my grandmother. It was just in grief, right, and how God reached down and touched her and gave her a special uh, grace of His comfort, right, a special touch of His of his comfort, right? And there really is nothing more special than when we experience God's love in those those difficult times because then his love is simply him, right? It's not all the other stuff that sometimes are his gifts that we get confused with him. When there are no gifts and all that comes through is him, right, we know what his love really is. And there's something very special about that. And I think Joseph experienced that in these dark days. There was something about his connection with God, experiencing God when he had nothing but God, right, that God ministered to him. Uh, God is with us, uh, and God is loving in those hard times, right? And it's important that we don't miss that, right? Uh, God is loving you in the hard times. Don't let your own bitterness... (laughs) and your own frustration rob you of experiencing what God wants to do in your life, uh, extending his kindness to you when you are hurting, right? Instead, we need to turn to him and grab hold and say, God, I need your comfort. There is no one else who can comfort me, as the psalmist said. If you don't listen to me, I have no hope. Right? And God wants to do that in those hard times. Uh, third thing uh, in the dungeon that we can do. We know God's with us. We we know his love. And uh, for lack of a better phrase, bloom where you're planted. Um, and it says that the that jo- that Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So Joseph didn't decide to wallow in pity or be miserable or feel sorry for himself. Instead, he decides to be successful where he is. I love this. Right? He knows God's with him. He knows God, God loves him. And he knows... I'm here and I'm going to bless this place, right? I'm going to be a blessing in this pit that I'm in and I'm going to bloom here. I'm going to let God's love flourish and I'm going to seek to bear fruit and be successful. And that's exactly what he does. And uh, we get a picture of some of that, what that looked like in, the, in chapter 40. So let's look there. Um, chapter 40, it says, again, sometime later, uh, Chief Cupbearer and Chief Baker offend their master Not a good move. When you work for Pharaoh, don't make him mad, okay? Just a tip in case you ever end up there. Uh, He becomes angry with these two officials. He throws them in prison. And Joseph was there, uh, uh, in the palace. And and they all remained in prison for quite some time. So time goes by. And remember, Joseph's job was what? Well, he was kind of prison administrator. I mean, he was in charge of all the prisoners. So they came under his care. But notice what he does. It says that uh, the guard uh, assigned them to Joseph who looked after them. Literally, the word would be ministered. He ministered to them. Okay? Uh, Joseph's in the dungeon, but he's determined that where he is, he's going to bloom by ministering to others. I love this. Okay, Great, great stuff. Joseph is not having a pity party. Instead, he's deciding, I'm going to serve. And even though these guys were technically under him, He serves them. He ministers to them. Uh, He humbly serves others around him. And here come these guys in, and he ministers to them. Um, One of the great things about dungeons, about these times in our life, is that more than any other time, tests our true motives, our true heart in things. Um, Why is it we do what we do? What are our true motives in serving God? Chances are most of us uh, know we're supposed to serve God, Um, Chances are we feel like we are and we do serve God. Sometimes we even serve others when we have to, right? Uh, But the real question is, what's the motive behind it? Well, when everything gets stripped away and you find yourself in a dungeon, it really brings out the real you, right? Do you still serve when there's really nothing in it for you, right? Do you still serve when actually life kind of, it's just going the wrong direction and nothing is working. Are you still willing to serve others? Well, Joseph was, and he does it faithfully and diligently. Uh, you know, I think oftentimes as Christians, you know, we talk about rice Christians. you know what a rice Christian is? Somebody who, when you go out in the village and you preach the gospel, they respond and get saved because they think if they get saved, you're going to give them rice. Right? And uh, of course, you don't want to do evangelism that way. But the reality is, it's an easy trap for any of us to fall into. God, I will serve you, and because I serve you, I expect you to bless me. And so we do the right things, and life goes well, and so we see, yeah, it worked. But when it doesn't go well, do you still serve God? Uh, When things you serve faithfully and effectively and it all goes amok, do we still serve God because it is our worship to him? Because we've decided and committed no matter what to take up our cross and follow God regardless of our circumstances. Well, Joseph shows himself faithful. Uh, he is not a fair-weather or recreational follower of God who will serve God if it's convenient, if it works out for him. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have anything against people going short-term and kind of on an exploratory mission trip as long as this is not the attitude. You now. If you say, well, I'm going to go overseas. I'm going to check things out for a year. And if it is convenient, if it's not too much suffering, if life is not too difficult, maybe I'll stay longer. Right? Well, God doesn't actually call us to that. Right? God calls us to take up our cross and follow him, uh, to be willing to suffer for his sake right? and to pursue dungeons. right? And when we get there to praise God, that nothing is working and nothing is going well, and my life is miserable, but you know what? I'm going to serve God anyway. Great example of this is uh, Brother Lawrence. And you know, maybe you've heard the book um, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Anybody heard of that book? Do You know what his chief occupation was? was? He was a monk in a monastery, and he was the. Dishwasher, that's right. He was the dishwasher, right? Now, he didn't volunteer for this job, okay? Um, In fact, he kind of hated it. And he's washing pots and pans for all the other monks in this monastery, right? But you know what he decided to do? He decided this was a great opportunity for him to worship God and to practice the presence of God. So he made it his ministry to serve his brothers by washing dishes and to serve God and to do it to his glory as a form of worship, right? It takes a lot of humility to do that. Uh, If we're all about our own importance and our own glory, we don't want to go there, right? Uh, Prisons are great places to be because we have great opportunities to strip aside our pride, our self-glory, and to be nothing and to serve, right? And that's exactly what Joseph does. He serves. He serves these guys who are also prisoners, and he does it joyfully and he does it well. Uh, so here's here's a tip from Joseph. Uh, next time you are bummed out, depressed, your, your ministry's failed, or your life is failing, nothing's working, look around you and find ways to just serve. Simple ways to serve, right? In fact, really the simpler the better. And say, God, I just want to find somebody, some way to serve, right? And maybe it's washing dishes, maybe it's sweeping floors, maybe it's. Uh, looking after people that nobody else will look after. You know, if, if your prison is school, find ways to serve your fellow inmates and the prison guards, okay? If, you're, you know, if, if, if your ministry plans have fallen through, right where you are, look around you and say, God, who can I serve? The reality is, you know, nobody's clamoring for these jobs, Right? Nobody's rushing after low-level service entry jobs. They're open, especially the ones that don't pay, right? Rush to those and just serve in simple ways, right? The the, the cool thing is this. You know how Joseph ended up being next to the king of Egypt, ruler over all of Egypt? We got there because he was willing to serve in chapter 40, right? Chapter 41 happened because he was serving faithfully in chapter 40, same thing's true in our life. When you start serving in simple, humble, lowly ways, it will pave the way to bigger things and to more fruitful ministry. Um, and do it as worship to God. Um, second thing Joseph does, so he serves, he ministers, he serves them. Uh, second thing we see though, is not as he just serving, but he really is tuned into others. Notice what it says. He says... Um, you know, these two uh, these two goofballs had this dream, and uh, they woke up, and literally it says that they were... The word that's used there can mean, like, they were, like, ill, or it can mean, like, outraged and angry. And the idea is that they're just like in er- inner turmoil. So they wake up in the morning, and they both had a... I can hear this, you know, the baker says, Oh, man, I just had this dream. says, <gasps> I had a dream. And he says his dream. He says, oh, That's a lot like my dream. And in those days dreams were big deals and they had they had the kind of had this notion that when you fell asleep you actually touched the other world and as you touched the other world the, the gods could give you messages and give you omens right so they really put great weight in this and clearly the nature of these dreams is kind of scary right and uh, so they know that the gods have told them something and in the egyptian society there were special Dream uh, interpreters who are schooled, and you could actually get your major. You know, you could go to school and get your master's degree in, in dream interpretation. And there's actually a name for this that I can't pronounce, so I won't say. I won't try. Uh, but they did not have access to those guys, so they're they're all worried. Man, I don't know what to do, right? So J- Joseph comes by with their morning goulash, and he sees these guys just, you know, their faces are just panic stricken. And Joseph could have said, "Man, you guys look like you s- slept poorly." handed them their goulash and gone on his merry way, right? That's not what he does. He's tuned into people. He's sensitive to those around him. He, he says, man, what's going on with you guys, right? He tunes into them. And, and he takes the time to listen and be sensitive to what's going on in their life. He says, oh, man, we just had this dream. We don't, we don't have anybody who can tell us what it means. And uh, Joseph says, you know, God, God's got it under control. And he doesn't say this, but he implies it. I got a direct line with God. God's with me, you just, you just tell me and I'll tell you what it means. That's what he implies. He doesn't say it, that's what he implies. Okay? And he takes the time to listen carefully to their story. Right? Uh, he doesn't rush ahead with answers, he doesn't rush ahead with solutions. I love this. He takes the time, he stops, and he listens. Right? Okay, when you're in your own dungeon, when you're in your own misery, the good, the good news about being there is he gives you great sensitivity to other people who are miserable, Okay, it's a real blessing because okay, when you're miserable, you can relate to people like that better. Okay? When you're really happy, you know, sometimes it's hard to really identify with the suffering of others. But when you've been there, you know what that feels like. It helps you be sensitive. And Joseph, he's there. Right? He knows and he uh, struggles with his own doubts and worries and fears. So he's sensitive to them and he takes the time to stop and listen and that's part of his ministry to them. He's attentive and compassionate. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just listen. He really seeks to bring God into their lives as the solution to their problems. Uh, he says simply, you know, the interpretations of dreams is God's thing, God's business, right? And he, in that statement, is, is declaring, oh, look, it's not up to these experts, these people who have studied, God will reveal to you truth. What you need is for God to tell you the truth about what's going on in your life, what this dream means. And uh, Joseph becomes a channel of God's revelation into their life to speak the truth to them about what's coming up. Uh, Great picture. When we're, not just when we're in difficult times, but really all the time. We ought to be people who tune into others and who reveal Christ where you are. Wherever you are, whatever place you are in life, right now, today, you have the opportunity to be revealing Christ to others. And, and Joseph does this simply by listening to people's story and then inviting them to bring God into the picture. Right? And when he does this, uh, he hears the story. God clearly and quickly and supernaturally gives him the meaning, um, uh, and he knows what it means. And Joseph faithfully delivers the message to them. Right? And I love that he does not change it. Right? Now, this was easy with the first guy, right? the, the cupbearer. It's good news for him. Three days, you're out. You're going to be putting that cup back in Pharaoh's hand. Uh, by the way, when you get out, don't forget me. Remember me, because I'm here in unjustly. Right? But what about the second guy? He hears the story. God whispers in his <laughs> ear. <laughs> uh, you know, I would have been very tempted to say, hmm, Oh, look at the time. Boy, i got to (laughs) go. You know? Or say, well, you know, there's a change, kind of the fortune cookie approach. There's a big change coming up in your life. (laughs) You know? I see, I see your, you know, your future looking, um, you know, up. (laughs) Because literally the word is, you know, he uses the, same phrase, both times, God's going, uh, Pharaoh's going to lift you up. You know, he, he doesn't leave out the little detail that he means lift your head off your shoulders, actually. Right? No, he tells the truth. Right? Part of revealing Christ to the world around us is to faithfully proclaim God's truth to them without diluting it or watering it down or compromising it. Uh, sadly, in our modern world, the church has gotten horrible at this. And we've been far more concerned about selling the message and having it well-received than proclaiming the truth that can make a difference in people's lives. Now, I don't know what the baker did with this. I don't know what what Joseph did. Uh, You know, it doesn't say... I don't know if Joseph had the chance to say, you know, you've only got three days left. You're going to meet God soon. Would you like to know, you know, (laughs) that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life anyway? Right? I I don't know if he ministered to him further, if he tried to share, you know, that God... There was hope for him in God. I don't know if he did or not. Uh, maybe he did. But the thing is, the, you know, the truth will set you free. If we compromise the message of the gospel so that it will be more popular, we're not doing people any favors, right? We need to be revealing the truth of Christ to people, right? And as you listen and listen to people's stories, uh, I think one of the best things we can do is really pray earnestly for people and listen for. God's word, right? Listen for what God wants to speak into that situation, into that problem, into that difficulty. And be faithful to tell people, right? There's sin in your life. And your life's a mess because you're not letting God rule in your life. Joseph is courageous and he tells the truth. Um, And of course, in the end, it comes out exactly as he said, which is proof That it was a revelation from God and not just Joseph making this up. Last thing, Um, and it gets to the end, uh, the last phrase, which is really kind of the punchline of this story. uh, The cupbearer forgot all about Joseph and never gave him another thought. Wow, you know, it looks so promising. It looks like, man, I'm, you know, the prophecies come true. The, the guy's freed, surely he's going to remember. Oh man, Joseph predicted this. He forgets, right? And the scene ends, not with hope, but with Joseph forgotten in prison. Forgotten, right? Uh, and in, in, in Genesis, the word remembering is a very important word and throughout Genesis' story, when God remembers, it means he's about to do something about it. Well, it kind of looks now like not only has the cupbearer forgotten, but maybe God himself is forgotten. And how easy would it have been for Joseph to think that, right? How does he keep his perspective? Well, I think it was important for him to, first of all, not focus on his circumstances. Um, secondly, uh, I believe, and it doesn't say this in the text, but it kind of implies it through the story, that Joseph kept his perspective by remembering the dream. It's very interesting. When you look at this story, uh, Joseph's confidence about God being the interpreter of dreams. Now think about this. Here's a guy who, when he was 14 or 15 years old, had dreams. And in the Genesis, all the dreams in the story come in pairs. So Joseph has two dreams. Uh, Here are two dreams. And then Pharaoh has two dreams, right? Uh, And and the, the... Dual nature of the dreams speaks of their certainty, right? So here's Joseph. Joseph had two dreams, and what were they? Well, that he was going to rise to power, and everybody's going to bow down to him, right? Uh, Joseph claims here that he not only knows about dreams, but he knows how to interpret dreams, right? Now, here's the deal. Imagine yourself in his shoes. You had this dream that you were going to rule the world someday, or at least your parents. And uh, that God had big plans for you. And now it's 13 years later, 11 years later, actually. And anything but that has happened. Okay. How confident would you be about this whole dream thing? Now, I think I'd be saying, yeah, I had dreams once. They're stupid. Just go back to sleep. Right? Okay. Don't trust in them. They don't work out. Right? That's not what Joseph says. Right? Why? Well, I think the author's implying here, and the text is... Making a case that Joseph was still absolutely convinced that those dreams come true, right? That Joseph said, God, God knows. And when God speaks something to you, you can be confident it's going to happen. God spoke to me, and I'm not depressed in prison because I know this is not the end. I know God's dream for my life. And God's dream for my life is someday that I'm going to have greatness in His purpose and plan, Right? most important thing you can do when you're in the pit of despair and discouragement and frustration is to remember God's dream for your life. Now you're going, well well, 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 I missed that one. <laughs> I didn't have a dream yet. Okay? I don't know what my dream for my life is. Right? It's okay. Because in our day and age, God has revealed it in His Word. You know, we don't need dreams for God's revelation. God has revealed clearly in His Word His dream for our life. And He spelled out On many pages of Scripture, His dream for your life and mine. What is God's dream for your life? Uh, Here's just one of many. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. We are are God's masterpiece. You are one of God's most incredible creations. And the work that God is doing in you is an extraordinary masterpiece of God. Okay? Uh, God's masterpiece. Not just some guy's masterpiece. Not just some great artist's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. You know, I saw what he did with the whole creating the universe thing. Not bad. When God goes to make stuff, it's pretty cool. You are God's masterpiece. You have been made... Uh, He has created you new in Christ Jesus. So the work of Jesus coming into your life and giving you new life through the shed blood of Jesus produces in you a new life in Christ. You You are. This is not something that might happen or could happen. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. So that, get this, so that we can do the good things, the good works He planned for us long, long ago. God saved you, not by works, but He saved you so that you could do good works and good deeds, good things. So wherever you're at in your life, um, God's plan is that He has long ago, maybe before the creation of the world, he He started the list. He thought, you know, Tim, what could I have Tim do that would be Just an extraordinary thing in my purpose and plan. I know. He starts writing down things for me to do. Because I'm going to save him by the power and blood of Jesus. I'm going to give him new life and power in the spirit. And he is going to accomplish great things in my kingdom. And that's true for every one of us in Christ Jesus. That's God's dream for your life. Is it your dream for your life? Is it your dream? You might say, well, yeah, sure, I believe that, but I'm still stuck, right? I'm still feeling like I missed God's will somewhere. Well, um, last thing is we just need to learn to wait on God. Um, Now, Joseph didn't really have a lot of choice in the matter. Joseph couldn't say, well, I think I'll just wait and pray about this some more. He didn't have a choice. He wasn't going anywhere, right? And sadly, we have the illusion that we do have a choice, we think we have a choice, right? And so too often we agonize over our choices, our decisions on what to do. What's God's will? And we want to know God's will and we want to worry about it in front because things aren't working out, right? And so we get all stressed out and worried and, and bothered and, and turmoil because we think we have a choice. But the reality is, the good, this is the good news. You really don't have a choice, because God is big enough to keep you stuck where you are as long as he wants, right? If you're stuck where you are, you're there because God stuck you there. And the good news is it is God's will, okay? If you're stuck, you don't worry about it being God's will. You're stuck because it is God's will. You are stuck in God's will because he's a big God, right? We're not bigger than him, right? Now, of course, we do make our own choices. We do make our own decisions. We are free agents in the universe. But God's even bigger than that, right? And, uh, you know, He will direct us. He will move in our life. He will close and open doors. He will bring hardships uh, and problems sometimes because it is the very thing that keeps us stuck where He wants us. So instead of worrying about it so much, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. I'm not saying we shouldn't seek God for the next step or pray about moves or not moves or whatever. But I'm saying this. We need to be people who learn to wait. I hate waiting. Okay, one of my great frustrations in Thailand is that all the traffic lights are like ten minutes long. Okay, I hate waiting, right? And you know, you get in a long line, and it's like two or three cycles. You know, I could collect retirement before I get through the stoplight. Uh, I hate waiting, right? That's exactly what God wants. God says, "You just need to wait on Me." Okay, chill, Right, My plan will unfold in your life if you will just trust me enough to rest in my good time and plan. There are reasons why Joseph needed to be stuck there, right? Because uh, it wasn't time yet. Right? We, we know the rest of the story. You know The famine, it's not time yet. It's not time for Pharaoh to have his dream. It's not time for the famine to come. I don't know why it's not time, right? Maybe it's not time because Joseph's brothers still need to have their own prison experience before they're ready to be reconciled. I don't know why. I don't know why God's making us wait. God knows. There's a reason for it. And things will unfold according to his perfect time if we just wait, if we just have the faith to wait. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the uh, example of Joseph. We really didn't have time to talk this morning. How much his life is really a picture of Jesus, who, who willingly, went to the pit, to the dungeon, to the place of suffering, uh, and uh, became our Savior by his humbly serving us, Um, by suffering, by taking up a life which ended terribly in human terms. Um, Lord, help us to have the same attitude that Jesus had, that we would be humble, that we wouldn't be so worried about our own circumstances and instead look around us and see how we can serve and love others who are also struggling and suffering. How we can bring Christ into the world where we are. How we can bring the light of your hope and your love to people around us who are struggling with that or may never have heard of it. And most of all, Lord, just give us your patience to wait with confident hope that the dream you have for our life is certain. Lord, help us to remember and just to to get a glimpse of that dream of the great and glorious things you have in store for those who are your children. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name.